Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast, where apparently our music is not playing. Uh, I'm Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. Um, what is up, Nick? Oh, not much, Josh. Just glad the draft's finally going to be here tomorrow. We can stop speculating and actually start uh, <laughs> figuring out what's actually going to happen this season. How are you doing today? Yes. Smoke screens are getting thick. Let's play the music, and I'm going to text her first. <laughs> on the flight we had to we had to make an emergency landing and but we eventually got where we needed to go and all's well that ends well. Okay, and Denver's not a bad place to have a have a layover in. At least you got some yeah, green no. chili maybe or something. No, we were only there for uh about forty five minutes and it was late and the only thing open was McDonald's so I got a great McDouble, that was about it. All right. Okay. Well at least at least you got some food in your belly. But anyway Let's get to this uh, NFL draft talk, as everybody knows. I'm sure that is tomorrow. Uh, and you're listening to the Dynasty Football Warehouse.com podcast, the Dynasty Pulse podcast with Josh and Nick. And we have Eric Asilius here on the line. Eric is uh, on NBC Sports Radio, does his own show every every single morning from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um, Pacific time. I think the – I don't know. You're on from 5 to 8 Eastern time, I should say. I know that. Six, six, six to nine Eastern. Six to nine Eastern. There we go. Okay, I had it right. But anyway, um, if you don't if you don't listen, to Eric, you should. He he knows his stuff, and NFL is obviously his uh, one of his passions. So we're happy to have him aboard with us today. Um, Eric, uh, first question uh, here about the draft. I'm wondering about inside linebackers. It seems like these are the guys that you know are really cornerstones of any. Any defense, you know, they make the 100-plus tackles a year. Why aren't more of these guys first-round picks? You know, last year we had C.J. Mosley. That was it. Why, why aren't more of these guys? Is there just the lack of quality, or what do you, what do you think? No, because you, it, it's actually the opposite, that you can find a lot of guys to do that job. It basically, if, if, you, if you can rush the passer and your outside guys can funnel into the middle of the field, there are a lot of guys that can sort of run – tackle to tackle and make tackles. And that's your job now as an inside linebacker. And and so because of the way that the game is set up and the fact that this has become a job that you can find a guy to do it in the third or fourth round and you won't notice the difference in production than if he's, if he's the same guy that you drafted in the first and second round, it doesn't become enough of an area of of need where guys can really distinguish themselves 
where you want to draft a guy in the first round. So basically you're saying sacks are sexy. That's why that's why we draft those guys in the first round? Say that one more time. Uh, that sacks are sexy, and that's why we draft those guys in well, the first round. Well, the, the game has come down to, other than the quarterback, which is obviously the centerpiece of the game, the game has come down to being able to help the quarterback or stop the quarterback. And guys on the outside who can edge rush are there to stop the quarterback. You know, J.J. Watt and Darrell Revis or, you know, Richard Sherman, you want to get the next one of those two guys. And their job is to either put enough pressure on the quarterback that there's enough time to throw, or when he does throw, the guys that you're covering aren't open. Very good point. Uh, Nick, what did you have there for Eric? Uh, yeah, Eric, I remember last year you were very adamant that uh, Johnny Manziel would have trouble finding success at the NFL level. I was wondering if there's any of this year's uh, early-round players that you're not fond of like you were not fond of Manziel last year. I, I'm not a Jameis Winston guy. I don't know why you would ever hand in a card with his name on it uh, in the first round. I said this last year, as you mentioned, about Johnny Manziel. I said, I, I, Johnny Manziel, to me, had no chance to succeed at the NFL. And I don't get what people are saying, uh, you know, wh- why people would be confused. Look, it becomes a, why are you making it any more complicated than it is? There are three things that you should evaluate the quarter position on. One, judgment on and off the field. If you have good judgment, great. If you don't, we have a problem. Two, accuracy. Guys who aren't accurate with the football, exceptionally accurate with the football, don't do well in the NFL. There really are no exceptions. And then number three, durability. You can't help the club if you're sitting in the tub, as they say. And when I look at Jameis Winston, (laughs) he's incredibly durable. Okay. He's a tough-as-nails kid that has taken shot after shot, and I would consider him definitely a durable quarterback. But he's only average accuracy, and he's way below average in judgment on and off the field. And say it out loud. If this was a movie, you'd say, that's, that's stupid. That would never happen. The guy is looking at rape charges, and his judgment tells him, stand on a cafeteria in the middle of the Florida State Cafe and scream insults about women's body parts on video for all to see. This kid has no judgment, and I can't draft a guy with no judgment. Very good point there. Um, so it seems like the the running back position is somewhat devalued at this present time. Are we overvaluing the wide receiver position? I mean, we're looking at basically – uh, I mean, maybe you can take a side on this, an over-under of, I think, five wide receivers going in the first round. Is, it, is that is that too many? I mean, especially well, considering, probably, you know, probably, well, go ahead. I'll take the under, uh, but not by a lot. I think there'll be four. Maybe a fifth guy will sneak in, but I don't think it'll go to six. So I would take the under. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the wide receiver position is a little overvalued. I, I look and say, okay, ready? Who's the best wide receiver in the Super Bowl last year? Uh, Matthews, Chris Matthews. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Yeah. That's my point. Okay. Um, uh, I think uh, Nick had another question there, Eric, about the receivers as well. What do you got for me? Uh, yeah, I was wondering if there's any receivers that you're higher on than uh, a lot of other pundits. And then also if you think this class will have as much of an immediate impact as the 2014 wide receiver class did. No, I don't think they will. I think the 2014 class was historically impactful um, to the point where, um, you know, one of my favorite stats in the NFL is of the last 
uh, it said, said actual numbers 375. Of the last 375 wide receivers who have been drafted, 375, two have had 1,100 yards as rookies, and that includes the classic last year. It was A.J. Green and Odell Beckham Jr. last year. That's it. Two of the last 375 guys drafted have had 1,100 yards as rookies. Nobody does. Rookies never really make an impact. I mean, last year you had a couple of guys. You had Mike Evans down in Tampa score some touchdowns, and last year was a historically good wide receiver class. But even that class only had one guy hit 1,100 yards receiving. Receivers make their impact in their third year in the NFL historically, and there are almost no exceptions to that rule. Okay. Um, is, there, is there any particular, like, who's your receivers that you're high on? Obviously, everybody loves Cooper and White. Do you have a stance on either one of those guys? Or is there anybody else that you're really liking? I think Cooper's going to be a really good player. Um, he's so productive. You know, it's just, when, he, when I look at him on tape and he does everything you want that guy to do, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to make an immediate um impact in your locker room because he's a really good kid. So a team like the Raiders could use him in that fashion. I don't think he's going to give you 1,200 yards out of the gate, as I mentioned, but I think eventually he's going to be a really, really, really productive player. He didn't play in pass-first offense. He didn't play with quarterbacks who are going to be playing in a pro bowl. Every week he drew an SEC corner or two whose game plan was to stop him, and they basically couldn't. So I don't think he had a lot of advantages, but he still had a lot of production. And with that kind of high character and that kind of production, that's a guy like on my football team. Uh, so flipping the switch to uh, a fantasy owner, you've mentioned uh, Oakland. What 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 do you think that does to his fantasy value if he goes to Oakland? Listen, as I just told you, the rookie wide receivers will always end up on some other guy's team. They get overdrafted every year, and he's going to be overdrafted. You know, Sammy Watkins went crazy early last year. He wasn't worth it. I had no chance to be on any of my teams. Amari Cooper and Kevin White have no chance to be on any of my teams as rookies. I'm telling you, stay away from the rookie wide receivers. Find another guy that's more productive. Because unless it's a, just a freak season like Odell Beckham Jr., they're going to be overdrafted guys. And especially the last year's class are going to be overdrafted guys. And the production historically doesn't fit where they get drafted in fantasy football. Very true. And I've seen, you know, we do a lot of, since we are a dynasty site by trade, we do a lot of dynasty mocks. And I, I can't believe where, where guys like that are going. And even in that, you know, even like the Dante Moncrief and the uh, Devontae Adams, you know, these are third wide receivers going in the fifth or sixth round. Sammy mm-hmm. Watkins is going like in the second or third round, and I just, especially in that offense, I just can't, I just don't see it. Um, any, uh, any other, any other thoughts going into the draft here before we let you go there? Um, I, I sort of think that Leonard Williams is the is the guy that people are telling me is the can't miss guy, and Dante Fowler Jr., the kid out of Florida. Um, he's a guy that lost 25 pounds and got very quick. And uh, it was easy to see why people liked him. I don't know if I love guys that lose a bunch of weight to get ready for the combine because I feel like they're going to put that weight back on once they get their contract to get signed. So I would probably take Williams over Dante Fowler Jr. And those are the two guys that are going to come off the board, probably one and two that are not quarterbacks. Okay, cool. Uh, Nick, any other questions there or thoughts? 
Um, after the top two quarterbacks, Winston and Mariota, are there any uh, quarterbacks in that second tier that you that you like? No, no. I, I mean, to me, it's like quarterbacks are like tuxedos. I only need one, but I need a good one. I, I don't need a second or third tuxedo that are kind of rented tuxes. I mean, just give me one good one. It's not about you know. You can even use that analogy for tuxedos, girlfriends, wives, whatever. I need one good one. I don't need five lousy ones. Okay. And, and we'll end it there. I don't think I could have said it any better myself. Eric, uh, pleasure for joining us. And even considering your circumstances, we really appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes of your day. No, guys, I'm a fan of the show, so I was going to make sure I did it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. Did he really just say he's a fan of our show? Um, blushing. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> what's that? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I believe you did. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, well, this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Uh, once again, thank you to Eric Casillas. Uh, had a bit of a crazy night with having to make an emergency landing but uh, in Denver. But uh, he is uh, give, very gracious to give us uh, uh, his time, and uh, we, we thank him for that. Uh, we're going to be joined by Dan Hines here in about 15 minutes. Uh, we have a whole lot to get to today as we get ready for the draft. I do want to remind everybody that we'll be actually having – a draft show tomorrow night, uh, starting at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Excuse me, 10 p.m. Central. It's 11 p.m. Eastern. Oh, it's wrong with me and my time zone today. So it's a little late. So, like I said, we you know keep the alcohol intake to a minimum because you guys want to stay up and hear what we have to say after round one. Um, we, you know, one thing is for sure. We think that Mariota might be going number two. We just don't know who to yet, so that's why we labeled today's show Mariota to Who. Um, I do want to remind everybody that we have the new uh, the new membership going here at DFW. You can become an inside member and get our NFL 2015 rookie kit um, for thirty dollars. That that gets you the whole year of inside information from us. Uh, we're cranking out three to four articles a day, having lots of fun. I'm reading every single one of them, just thinking, wow, I am so so gracious to be a part of this website because we have such talent here. Um, you can get just the inside membership for $25 or you can get just the rookie guide for 10 bucks. And like I said last week, if you don't have time like us to spend watching film on all of these rookies, you get that rookie guide for 10 bucks, put it on your, put the PDF on your phone. You can read it wherever you are at. It's good to go. Alan Satterley and his crew did such a great job. Uh, just enjoy that. 100, 120 pages of, of rookie knowledge. You just can't beat it. Um, DFW is where famous, where Dynasty football is a way of life. Dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership membership includes all access inside to insider articles on Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, and IDP. We're going to get, gonna get you over 1,000 articles per year, up to three, day, up to three per week. Include Includes expert dynasty rankings updated monthly, average draft position data, and 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings, rookie film, and so much more. Um, 24-7 access to DSW staff via email, roster management advice, trade, draft, rebuild, waivers, commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and getting new leagues set up on MLF. Again, rookie guide, $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the insider membership PDF emailed to you. Uh, that's what I did. Absolutely love the PDF. Just like I said, got it on my phone. Anywhere I am at, I can pop it up and I can I can read what Alan and crew got to say. I love it. 
expanding 2015, which is going to include more more of a top 10 uh, IDP, all, all crisply summarized with key notes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, key college stats. 143 skill position players, 106 page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, hundreds of hours of research analysis boiled down into one NFL draft date enjoyment. And we did all that just for you. We did all that research just for you, just so you could have that with you. Ah, such a great thing. Uh, combine recaps of all skill positions includes included guide included in the guide with updates of the NFL draft and adjustments made through training camp and the preseason. All three. Membership options will get you entered into the DFW contest giveaways. Each purchase will get an get you an entire get your entry into a raffle for a brand new iPad, the newest model, which is will be awarded during halftime of of the 2015 Super Bowl via third party security raffle. You also get entry into the DFW Week One free roll tournament on either FanDuel or DraftKings, where you will receive up to $200. You can also get entry to the DFW Survivor Contest. For over the course of the 2015 season and the last team standing, we'll also receive $200. So very excited about the membership thing we got going on here, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun uh, this year and what we have in store for you. So we're definitely going to make it worth your $30, and that gets you the whole year, the whole stinking year. Love it. All right, Nick, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. Um, seems like every week we start this, when we start this segment, it's always a random cop trade. And believe it or not, we have another random cop trade. This one is from DFW48. Uh, somebody gave up random cop, Kenny Stills, and a 2016 round one pick and received a 2015 1.12 and 1.21. Uh, a couple first round picks there for random cop, Kenny Stills, and a 2015-16 first round pick. Excuse me. Oh, I absolutely love the side that picked up the players. I mean, you're giving a, a couple draft picks, which, like Eric said, you know, it's tough to depend on rookies, even with the the big year all the rookie receivers had last year. So you're you're getting a, a wide receiver one in Randall Cobb, another young productive wide receiver in Kenny Stills, who had 900 yards last year playing in New Orleans. Now he's going to be uh, probably get more targets this year, you would guess, in Miami. Plus, you get a first round pick to the future for a couple of the first round picks this year. Love love that trade. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, don't get uh, you know, Eric is more of a, more of the the redraft type of player. So I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're in a different route here with the dynasty as we already have. You know, like if you're like me, I have every single Jets receiver on on two of my dynasty teams uh, combined. So yeah, obviously, I have some work to do there. So we're you know we're looking at these rookies in a different light that, that Eric is bringing up. But I mean, Eric brings up great points with just sheer production numbers as rookies. But we, you know, we, we have the benefit of putting these guys on our roster and not using them or using them in a taxi squad spot because we want to keep them for the future. And that's, and that's kind of, you know, the, the correlation between what he's talking about and kind of what we are all about. Um, you know, it, obviously the person that gave up, all of that has got some ideas of what they want to do with those first round picks, but yeah, you gotta you gotta like getting Cobb and Stills. I, you know, there's not too. I don't think there's too many people sold on the Stills Landry pairing that wide receiver for the Dolphins. I I think it's a great young pairing. It's gonna take you know maybe a couple seasons to to really mature, but I think that's that's a that's a nice nucleus that I think they have going on. I still don't understand why. 
the Dolphins really just kind of broke things up, but uh, they obviously felt they they needed to do that, and uh, they got younger in the process, and I think they're really ready to build. You know, they are building, I should say, around Tannehill. So I, I like Stills, and obviously Cobb with Aaron Rodgers. You can't you can't uh, can't go too wrong there. So uh, let's move on to the next trade there, Nick. Uh, somebody gave up Bernard Pierce. 2015 3.5 and a 2015 3.6 and a 2015 4.39 and got Frank Gore. So it's three picks, two two thirds, a fourth, and Bernard Pierce for Frank Gore. Any thoughts there? Well, I'm assuming the side that picked up Frank Gore is loading up for a run this year, not building for the future, because obviously Frank Gore in his 30s has probably only got one, maybe two years left. But it should be one pretty solid year there in Indianapolis in that offense. Uh, So I really like the side that picked up Frank Gore. I've never been a big Bernard Pierce fan. He really failed to impress me there in Baltimore, and now he's had off-the-field problems. I think he'll probably be the change-of-pace guy to Denard Robinson, and if they add another back in, in the draft there in Jacksonville, he could fall even farther farther on the depth chart. Um, you know, I think there is an outside chance that he could see regular carries there um, in in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, Robinson isn't necessarily your prototypical running back, and I got real doubts about if he can handle the, the 250 touches per season there. So, um, but yeah, like you said, the guy's obviously loading up for a stretch run. The thing to remember about giving up picks in these, these leagues you're talking about, you know, you know, five to seven round rookie drafts, and you know, with twelve teams in each in each draft, you're, you're getting pretty deep into the rookie class. So it's not like you're giving up, you know, like a third or fourth round pick, you know, in a real NFL draft where these guys are using every single player. Obviously, not like us fantasy owners use offensive linemen, uh, but. Uh, That'd be kind of a fun thing to include some pancake stats, but anyway, yeah, there's there's a little bit of a difference there between giving up these picks. Obviously, you're taking chances. These are IDP leagues too, so people are going to be drafting uh, defensive players. You know, some rookie linebackers. You know, the next hundred tackle guys like like the Paul Dawson, possibly Bryce Hager. Uh, you know, there's some top end guys too that people think have double digit sack potential. Uh, I have real concerns there on a lot of that front, but uh, we'll get get into that a little bit later once all these IDPers figure out their uh, landing spot post uh, draft. Uh, by the way, Nick, the draft is tomorrow. You're right. Uh, round one, actually. Round one is tomorrow. I am pumped. I got to work, but uh, I'll be off in time to do the show. Um, so yes. I'll take the Frank Gore side on that trade. I think I've babbled on long enough. Uh, Dante Moncrief, another guy here on the trade block, uh, was sent to somebody, and that player received pick 2.03 in return. So 2.03 is actually the first, and DFW 36 is actually the first first pick of the second round. Uh, any, Any thoughts there on that trade? Uh, I think it's a pretty even trade. Uh, Moncrief flashed some abilities last year, but now since uh, Andre Johnson and Deron Carter were brought into Indianapolis, it might be a year or two before we really start to see a lot of production out of Dante Moncrief. So this is definitely a long-term move, but I think it's a pretty even trade. Yeah, we'll get uh, we'll get into some third wide receivers a little bit later, but uh, yeah. It seems like an even trade considering the player there. It depends on, you know, what you need in that, in that spot. So, um, looking at the, you know, who, who the number 13th overall would be if you need that, 
need that position. Um, Moncrief is probably not a bad guy to stash if you think he's got a future there. He's already got some rapport with uh, with Andrew Luck, and obviously Andrew Luck's going to be locked up. Uh, speaking of locked up, how about the how about the Redskins uh, getting that uh, exercising that fifth year option RJ three? What do you think of that move, Nick? I I think it's something that had to be done. I mean, uh, you we all know how bad it is uh, to go into a season with a lame duck coach. The Skins would have been going in with a lame duck quarterback, and that wouldn't really inspire confidence in any of the players, uh, any any of the fan base. It, it was a it was a move. I know sixteen million is a lot of money for a quarterback who struggled the last few years, but it was a move that they really it didn't have a choice but to do. Okay. Uh, on a related note, I heard there was no. Uh, no interest whatsoever on the Kirk Cousins trade front. <laughs> uh, just just to keep you all updated. Um, geez, surely Cleveland could use another quarterback. But anyway, um, yeah, that's uh, that's what we had for the trades. Uh, next next week we'll we'll sh- be sure doing a lot more of those. Obviously, as the draft will be over. Um, we got a lot of content ready to pump out this weekend as the draft is going to. So make sure you stay tuned to DFW this weekend. Um, we're going to be getting some great analysis, you know, even after the first round, seeing how what we think of these players. So in uh, their landing spot, we're obviously going to keep that going here through the next couple months as we get, uh, as I said to Jay Myers yesterday, we're going to talk about rookies until we puke for the next couple months. I can't wait to do that. I'm so excited to do that. You have no idea. Uh, but uh, moving forward, um, uh, like I said, Dan will be stopping by five minutes to talk about uh, Devin Funches. He could possibly be uh, uh, maybe the best tight end in the draft or maybe one of the worst wide receivers. So I'm not trying to steal Dan Slender there, but uh, I thought I'd just throw that out there. Uh, so, Nick, what are your thoughts, like I said to Eric earlier, over, under, wide receivers in the first round tomorrow night? I put the number at five. What do you think about that number? Um, I think I think it's going to be six. Actually, um, you know, we're at the NFL is a win now type of league. Uh, GMs and coaches know a lot of them. If they don't win this year or next year, they're probably going to be looking for new jobs. So, wide receiver is a position that at least last year. Uh, guys were able to come in and contribute right away. I think a lot of GMs are going to see that and try to copycat off of what happened last year, and I think six of them will go in round one. Okay. There was five last year. Uh, as uh, Mark Peasley was the number six guy off of the board, six wide receiver off the board in the second round there for Jacksonville. Just uh, keep you posted there. I want to write down off- offensive line, but really, let's, let's face it, it's offensive tackle. Um, so I'm going to go with four. What do you think about that over under for four tackles in the first round? And we'll say um, Mr. Era from Iowa is a guard for cases of this argument. Oh, uh, well, if we're going to put a sheriff from Iowa as a guard, then I will probably say under on that. Especially with the question marks around Lyle Collins right now, Lyle, with the legal questioning that he's going through. Yeah, so we're possibly looking at um, – uh, TJ Clemmings, you know, maybe Eric Flowers. Uh, you know, I think Jake Fisher could slip in there too. And I sent, and I sent these, I sent these over under because I think that's right where that number is going to be. Um, 
did I say Eric Fisher? I mean Jake Fisher out of Oregon could be could slide in there too. So uh, some definite questions. Um, so safety position, Nick. I'm going to set the number at one. <laughs> you could go over or under on that one. Uh, I'm going with a push on that. I think Landon Collins is feel push on above. that. All right, you're going to bet the push. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Am I allowed uh, to push? What about Corn? Yes, you're allowed <laughs> to push. Um, uh, yeah. I'm not going to say what I want to say there. Uh, cornerbacks, I'm going to set the number at three. Uh, I'm going to go with four. I think uh, Waynes, Kevin Johnson, Myron Jones, and Marcus Peters all go in the first round, even with Peters off the field problems. Okay. All right. Um, running backs, this is probably the easiest one to set. I'm going to set the number at two. Yep, and I agree with that. Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon and everybody else is round two or later. Okay. Same number for the quarterbacks. Uh, you know what? It's, this might be a surprise, but I'm going to go with three. Uh, it seems like every year we – or not every year, but a lot of years we see quarterbacks get taken in the first round that we didn't expect. Uh, you know, you look at Christian Ponder the year he went uh, pick 11 or 12, I believe, to Minnesota. Jake Walker going pick number eight the year uh, the Titans took him. I think somebody's going to reach for a quarterback just because it's such a quarterback desperate league right now. You know, I, I told – excuse me, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, E.J. Manuel, Christian Ponder. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, I'm going to say one quarterback. No, I'm just kidding. I think two is right, <laughs> right dead on. Um, you know, maybe if there was some, you know, maybe if you know Peyton Manning was retiring and Denver was looking to find the next the next guy, but I just don't, I just don't see it happen. I think we could go a whole second round without seeing a quarterback off the board. So that's my that's my prediction there. Um, one more, Nick. Um, Tight end. The number's one. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially if we're uh, classifying Funches as a wide receiver, then yeah, Max Williams is the only tight end worthy of a first round pick. Okay. Um, I'm going to say zero. I'm going to say I'm going to go under the one. Uh, Bruce, Bruce, Mr. Fat Cat Kimbrough agrees with me. We talked. I talked to him this morning. Uh, he said, I can't believe anybody would take a wide, excuse me, a tight end in the first round of this draft, and I'm going to agree with him. So I'm going to say zero on the tight ends. Um, so place your bets now. Hopefully you got that all squared away. We have Mr. Dian, Dan Hines on the phone, um, but I keep forgetting his intro music, so I'm going to play some new intro music that I uploaded especially for Dan. Hey, how you doing today, Dan? I don't even know what that was. You saying pour me another glass of that sweet burgundy, little Tommy Bowling? Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that song before. Okay. I think I'm older. I'll have to to go back and listen to that. I appreciate. I appreciate (laughs) the intro music, though. Yeah, I I thought it was perfect for you. I. uh, Unfortunately, I'm a music freak. I've been in a music store since I was 19 years old working there, so I, I have a vast knowledge nice. of 
useless knowledge, I guess you could say. But anyway, Dan is here to talk about a multitude of things today. Um, maybe if he has time, we're going to have him uh, be the be the judge and jury for our dynasty dilemma. But I'll put you on the spot there. But let's get to let's get to Devin Funches right away, Dan. What do you got for us on Mr. Devin Funches? Well, you guys just brought him up, you know, and I mean, to me, Funchess is one of the greatest mysteries in this draft, and it's and it's it has more to do with how he's going to be used than anything. I mean, that's that's what I focus on most when I do my scouting is how are these guys, how are they going to translate? How how would I use them? If I was an offensive coordinator, how do I think the NFL offensive coordinators will use them? How do I think they'll compete against the top end talent at you know the top defensive backs and safeties um, in the case of wide receivers at least? And this is the one I just can't put my hand uh, my finger on. And I mean, before I even started, I was going to get. I mean, you guys do your homework. You you said assuming he's you know taken as a wide receiver. And, you know, at this point, that is an assumption, in my opinion. I think he definitely seems to be leaning that direction, um, which to me is a bit disappointing. But I'd be interested in hearing, you know, your guys' take on Funchess uh, in terms of, you know, just what you think he, if he can be successful. Um, because, I mean, honestly, I've been trying to get my – I have my thoughts, but I'd like to hear yours if you don't mind. Uh, sure. Um, I – like you talked about last week, tight end is such a hard position to learn. So I think for his fantasy value, in the short term, he'd be better off being a wide receiver. But in in the long term, I think he could actually be a, a better productive fantasy player if he gets to tight end because of, obviously, the, the lack of depth at the position. I think everybody wants New Orleans to take him so he, they can just say he's going to be the Jimmy Graham role. Obviously not as good as Jimmy Graham, but be that Jimmy Graham role. That could really clear things up. So maybe whoever drafts him, put on their tight end or wide receiver, just so we all know where he's going to be next year. Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, well, I see the struggles that he's had with blocking, and that makes me really wonder about uh, if he can mm-hmm. transition to uh tight end in the NFL level. Uh, one thing that I was – that really uh, struck me as odd was the the disparity between his uh, his forty time at the combine where he ran a four seven and his pro day where he was a four four eight. Uh, I was wondering, Dan, which time do you think uh, the game film shows uh, more closer to? The game show, I think the game shows four seven all day. I don't see I don't see any separation on his outside routes where he's actually flexing that forty speed. Um, my problem with him is he doesn't do anything consistently, consistently except be big. Um, there's just nothing that – the only game that stood out to me was his Appalachian State game, and that's not even your Appalachian – dominant Appalachian State of old. That's a 5-7 and seven Appalachian State team. So there's only so much you can take from that. Um, I don't know if this uh, comparison has been thrown out a lot. I mean, I think upside-wise, you're looking at a potential Kelvin Benjamin. I could see him used very similar in that role. I think, you know, I think um, Josh hit it on the head in terms of his development. I think right out of the gates, he would be more beneficial to a team as a wide receiver. But ultimately, I think he could be absolutely dominant as a tight end. 
Um, I see a fair level of consistency and dominance with his inside runs. Everything inside, there's good separation. Um, everything outside is contested. Everything is right there. Um, the good news is he can win, at least in college, a fair amount of those jump balls, but that's what they always seem to be when we're talking about downfield throws with him. And I'm just not sold on the fact that he's going to be able to push people around the same way he did in college. I felt like Kelvin could do that. I didn't have really much hesitation on him at all, but Punches, I just have a little more hesitation. There seems to be a lack of technique and ability to separate, and it's just purely a I'm bigger than you, you know, get out of the way. And I think, you know, most of the corners and safeties in this league are going to be able to handle him a little better. Um, I think, I think an, a creative offensive coordinator could really have fun with De- with Devin Punches. But because he has just so many unknowns and so many inconsistencies, I don't know where I would be comfortable taking him, you know? And, I, I just there's other aspects of other people's games that I'm so sold on that, you know, like take Tyler Lockett, for instance, or Brashad Perriman or some of these other um, wide receivers that are probably going to be comparably picked to the, you know, where some people will be taking punches. You know, there's elements of both of those guys' games that I am so confident are going to translate to the next level that I'm going to take them every time over – you know, Devin Funches. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure where his ADP is right now. I'm guessing it's late first, early second, probably early second. Um, but to me, that seems about right. Um, I just, I think he is the number one tight end in the draft long term, even over my boy, you know, go for Max Williams. Uh, I think he is very gifted athletically and in some ways um, as a tight end for sure. Uh, but I just don't see any. I just nothing really, really stands out to me, and I think that's the problem. I just went back and watched again. Like, give me something, and you know, the only one that does is that App State game where he is totally dominant over a team that they were up thirty-five to nothing at half, and the team had given up, you know, well before that. So, you know, to me, it just comes down to how they're going to be used. And there's just too many questions. I think he could be used very hybrid-like. I don't think there's any rules anymore. So I would like to think that a creative offensive coordinator could take this guy and say, hey, you know, we're going to train you, like Josh said, long-term to be a tight end. But that is something that's going to take a little bit. But we can take our time because we can flex you out wide. We can get you doing some of the stuff that won't take as much. And uh, you can be helpful in other areas for us. Because as Nick said, his blocking kind of sucks. So, you know, so everywhere you look, it's like, okay, he's good at wide receiver here, 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 but he sucks here, 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 here. And then tight end, he could be awesome here, 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 you know. But if you use him as a more of like an Aaron Hernandez type, you know, um, tight end where there's not much asked except for route running, we're looking for mismatches here. Um, I think he could be an absolute dominant beast in this in this league as a tight end and uh, could potentially become one of those dominant guys that we're all looking for. But uh, uh, I'm going to be a little disappointed if he comes out as a wide receiver. 
I'm even going to be more disappointed if I'm wrong and he comes out and has a Kelvin this year and I passed on him at like 2.2 or something. <laughs> so that's my take. Sure. Um, well, because he hasn't played the traditional tight end role in college, maybe if he gets in a system where they want him to be more of an uh, on-the-line tight end, that might actually help his blocking. Because if you're talking about a receiver block, you're talking about a guy who's facing a cornerback, you know, two feet two feet away from him where he's got to – and they're both in the stand-up position. If he's, you yeah, know, if he's sure. like pulling or he's in motion, he's going to have some speed and some size, his size behind him to maybe help him, you know, yep. maybe knock, knock down an, a, smaller, a smaller DB. It's an intentional block versus a reactionary one on a blown play or a, or a running play where he's out in open space. Yeah, I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, unfortunately, that's the only thing we have to go based on, really. Um, and, I mean, there are a couple good instances. He's definitely big enough and strong enough to be effective blocking. Um, it's just what you saw was not effective <laughs> uh, in most cases. But, um, yeah, absolutely. I see your point there. I'm just not sure if I was an offensive coordinator if I'd want to line him up, in, you know. Inside, basically, or at least on the line. You know, but uh, Nick, did you have any you know, more questions or comments on this? Well, uh, you compared him to Kelvin Benjamin, and one uh, negative attribute he shares with Kelvin uh, Benjamin is uh, a problem with dropping balls sometimes. Do you attribute mm-hmm. his drops to a, a lack of focus, or is he too much of a body catcher and not letting balls bounce off his chest? Do you know, is there one certain reason you think he drops fastest? I thought, too. I saw the concentration issue, and I see suspect hands. Um, I don't necessarily see the body-catching aspect of it. I see, uh, I, I would rank them concentration issues number one, which is okay. I'd rather have that than just bad flat-out, you know, concrete slabs slapping at the ball that are just really, really hard to fix. Um, I would put that number two, personally, just based on what I saw. But um, I definitely think it's slightly more concentration. He... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I just got distracted. I grabbed some mango. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I'll just leave it at that. My brain is not working at the moment. So, so let's say you have you had Funchess in a in a Devi league, a developed league, as where you can draft a college player. Dan, where where do you want him to go? Hmm. Good question. Let's see. And you did mention Aaron Hernandez. I could see know, him in could, Miami. They could. Um, yeah. Yep. I think he could work well alongside a Jordan Camp, like just a bigger um, complement to like a um, Kenny Stills um, and a uh, Jarvis Landry type combo, I think that blend would fit well. Um, I think he could push then Jordan Cameron and could compete at two positions at that point. I think it would give the offense a lot of flexibility. 
Um, so Miami is probably right up there um, as someone who I could see going after a guy like that. Um, give Tannehill, or Tannehill, who is not a very accurate deep ball thrower, um, a nice big target that can get downfield a little bit. Uh, that might not be such a bad idea. Um, they'd probably be my number one off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, you know, I think Denver and New England would also be nice, but I totally hear what you're saying. We talked about the Miami wide receivers a little bit earlier, and a lot of people are not okay. necessarily sold on either Stills or Landry as a as a true number one, but to have that yeah. that flexibility might, might actually help them out. Any thoughts there, Nick? Uh, yeah, I mean, where he goes, it just depends on uh, if you're wanting to play him at tight end or wide receiver. You know, if he was to go in as a tight end, I would say New Orleans would be the perfect fit. Sean Payton, very creative offensive mind there. Mm-hmm. Could move him all around, similar to what they did with Jimmy Graham, who wasn't asked to block much in New Orleans. Another place that he could do good in a, uh opposite role is uh, Kansas City opposite Travis Telsey. You could really play to Alex Smith's strengths by having a couple of big, fast, athletic underneath guys, you know, where he's just not going to go downfield with the ball. Just thinking of non-traditional high-octane offenses like Denver, New Orleans, and, you know, and New England, where we would definitely like to see the bulk of our players go, I think. Um, you know, I could see that scenario where they lock in on a couple two tight end sets and, you know, kind of you flex flex Funches out and play him opposite uh, Macklin a little bit, too. That could get interesting. Yeah, they can't list him as a wide receiver in Kansas City, though. Otherwise, he won't catch any touchdown passes. So, we'll, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you've created quite a buzz in DFW36, as my uh, email blew up yesterday, by trading – um, uh, down a little bit in round one, uh, just so everybody knows, you traded uh, 1.2, which is basically a 1.1, 1. 1, and mm-hmm. got a 1.10, which is basically a 1.4, and also gained Cody Latimer in the process. Uh, any any thoughts or explanation from you before we, we ask you about it? Sure. Sure. I mean, well, basically, my team's in rebuilding mode after one year. Um, I screwed up my yeah, I screwed up my draft pretty good and went a little IDP heavy. Um, I should have waited a little bit on it, and but I recognized right away I was going for youth. I knew I wasn't going to compete right away. I thought I'd be a little more competitive than I was. Um, had a few bad breaks, and then ultimately just said, all right, halfway through the season, I'm going to start prepping for next year. So. I ended up with two number one picks. I ended up trading, oh, my God, uh, Oliver, Brandon Oliver, and and a like a late second for what turned into my second number one overall pick, which was just a steal. So I ended up with two number one overall picks. My intention the whole time was to trade back. I need players, not player. And... Uh, I would, I probably, my only knock on myself is I probably could have just waited until after the draft to see if Gurley or Gordon landed in Dallas. Cause I think ultimately, or even maybe San Diego with Gurley, I think that would create enough buzz with him as potentially the true most talented player in this draft to maybe get a little more for that pick than I did. But I'm a big believer in building around young upside wide receivers 
And I have four really standout players in this draft. I have Gurley, I have Gordon, I have Cooper, and I have White. I have a few people that are very close to that that I wouldn't be sad taking, but I really wanted to be in the top four, and I honestly would not really care with this team which one I got. So my thought process was I'm really not losing anything in this trade at all. I can't take the same player with my first two picks. So I'm going to get two of those four regardless. And so by moving back into the fourth, which is the first fourth selection, which in this case is a big deal, um, I'm going to have first crack at whoever is there after, you know, the first of the first, uh, for uh, three fourth overall picks, if that makes sense to anybody other than people in our league. Um, <laughs> to, uh, I wrote, so ultimately, I wrote it Nice. Yeah, so ultimately I looked at it like, okay, I still got one number one overall pick. I can pick whoever I want there, or I can do a similar deal post-draft and capitalize on some insatiable hype on a player. Or I can just take Gurley or White or Cooper or whoever, and at four I'm going to get one of those three remaining players that I'm targeting anyway. So to do that and get Latimer – who for me is more of an investment piece than anything. And this is why I hate BFW because I got to come on my podcast and share all my damn secrets and strategies with everybody, which sucks. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily think this is Manning's last season, but I also realize that everybody shits the bed when he moves. And maybe not Demarius yeah. Thomas. Maybe they don't completely crap in bed, but everybody's going to take a hit. Let's all be real here, right? So, you know, the idea that Latimer could have a big, you know, impact this year is not, you know, far-fetched at all. I think it would be um, far-fetched to say he won't have some sort of serious impact this year. I mean, at this point, he is definitely in line to be on the field in three wide receiver sets, and there's even rumors going on that they may try him out at tight end. Guy's got amazing hands. He's super athletic. He's going to have a big game this year. There's no question about it. Unless the guy gets hurt, he's going to have a breakout game, and and then the people are going to go nuts over him. He's the next big thing. My intention is to sell at that point. I'm building here, you know, so for me – He's an investment piece. I'm probably not going to invest in this guy long-term because he's going to be stuck in Denver after Peyton Lee or hits the wall. Um, And so for me, it's going to turn into a situation where who's buying the hype and what are you, what are you paying? (laughs) You know? And uh, so that's how I'm looking at it basically. Yeah. I don't know why it got uh, so hyped up, but everybody was pretty jacked up about that. Yeah, um, I think you kind of answered my question. I was going to ask what what is Latimer after Manning leaves, but you kind of you kind of you kind of answered that there. But uh, well, and I know from the email chain that Dwayne Brown, our, our mutual friend, did express love for Latimer. So maybe maybe if he's if he's not listening, we could, you could try to flip him to him later on in the season. Well, he already has Latimer. That's the problem. The DBs oh. and uh, after my number one pick all off season offer on, you know, and I've been really patient with them. You know, that's the only thing that I kind of kick myself for, you know, I don't mind selling right now. Right. I mean, yeah, I got a high end prospect for basically free. It was a great deal for me. Um, but this is, this is not the time you want to be buying your number one overall pick. Let's put it that way. 
Um, so I have no problem selling given my current situation. I just think if I was being self-critical, having come so far and dodged so many offers, most of them horrible, I would have just, you know, been better off waiting one more day, see how that first round plays off, I'll see how those cook, you know, those chips kind of fall. And uh, I, I don't think I could have done any worse. So I don't think it would have really hurt me to sit on it for another day. That said, I'm certainly not crying about that deal. So, Well, I'm going to try to explain it. DSW 36 and 48, uh, they're, basically there's 36 teams. But we all, but there's three separate drafts. So what Dan is saying is he, he went, he had the first two overall picks in two of the different drafts. We can draft in all three drafts because we're crazy and there's all these sorts of trades going on. So what Dan did is he traded that other first overall pick for for pick 1.2, which is basically pick 1.4 in the other draft that he has 1.1 in. So he's like he said he could take Gurley. And then realistically, Cooper and White or whatever. Cooper, White, and Gordon could be could be one of two of those three players could be gone by the time he makes his fourth pick. So he basically traded back into one draft where he's going to have two of the top four picks. I think I said that yep. right. And all picked and picked up Latimer okay. in the process. Yep. And picked up Latimer in the process. Yes. So. Okay. Um, I think there was a couple more things, but we do want to we do want to we want to mention the combine that is going on at Minneapolis this weekend. Oh uh, yeah, what do you got? yeah. Is there is there an update? <laughs> are, you, are you ready? Well, um, can I? We're can yeah. I'm I'm after I hang up the phone. After I hang up the phone with you, I'm going to go let Sean T kick my ass a little bit with some asylum. Um, this really isn't going to be fair. I mean, I actually keep myself in pretty good shape. I'm kind of a nut about it. And uh, my, I, I can't speak for Justin. He might be in good shape. Well, you know what? It might be closer than I think. Because my good friend, all these guys are my good friends that are going to be here this weekend. Just backing up, I am have uh, my partner Jay, a good friend of mine, is flying in from Colorado. Um, first time he's been up here to Minnesota to visit us. Um, Jeff Melbested, who I grew up with, who's our other partner, he's driving in from Milwaukee. We got a bunch of members and friends and stuff that uh, are going to be coming out for us. We're going to do a big draft party at a huge sports bar here in the the cities uh, tomorrow night. It's going to be a blast. We do it every year somewhere, usually in Wisconsin. And uh, But on Friday, we decided, actually inspired by the previous uh, regime of the Dynasty Pulse, um, was to do a combine, uh, middle-aged, overweight, pathetic version (laughs) of the NFL combine. And uh, it was just too good of an idea. It always stuck in my head like, yes, we have to do this. And in any way possible, we got to make this a tradition. And better yet, we got to document this crap. You know, we need to get our height, our weight, our hand size, our 18-inch verticals written down on paper for the rest of DFW to, you know, to uh, ooh and ah at, you know. And it's going to be funny. Um, we're going to take some, we got uh, a list of events currently. We're going to, we're going to mix it up a little bit because uh, one of our good friends, Nate team is a police officer down here. He's really into like CrossFit and stuff like that. So he's in pretty good shape, but he's a strength guy. And he's like, this is bullshit, man. How can you, can, how can you guys at all these speed workouts, you know? And I'm like, all right, 
let me find some strength workouts here. So we're doing a tire throw. Um, we're going to use the tire for our <laughs> we're going to use the tire for our accuracy contest uh, as well. Um, so we'll have a throwing contest. Uh, we'll also have a distance contest for both passing and punting. Again, it's <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, Forty yard dash is a must, of course. That will probably be videotaped and posted on the site. We're going to blog about it afterwards. It might take a little bit to put it all together. Um, three cone drill, which I had to like actually study to figure out how to like set it up and how to run it effectively. Um, broad jump, vertical jump, uh, yeah, and then height, weight, and hand size. So we're gonna have some interesting things because I'm like a I'm a small guy, you know, I'm five nine, hundred and sixty pounds, and we got some pretty big guys like my buddy Jeff, who's six three to you know two twenty probably. All gut, but <laughs> it's gonna look it's gonna look good on it's gonna look good on paper, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's gonna be a lot of fun. And members and people new to DFW or people who want to get to know us or um, have been a part of this community for a long time will get to see see us put our money where our mouth is and actually try some of this stuff. And it's just one of the little things that separates DFW from the rest of the pack out there. We're a bunch of real fun guys and like to do this kind of stuff and uh, try to keep the fun and fantasy around DFW as well. Um, if you haven't read mine and Jeff's split personality article on Marcus Mariota, I strongly suggest you do it. They're a great format because they, uh, they get the debate going, so you get a perspective. Uh, you get two perspectives on the player in the article. And you get our caddy 30-year history of name-calling and personal agendas and dirty laundry thrown in there as well. And so it gets pretty nasty. And uh, we took off right where we left off last year. It's an article we love to write. And I know on Thursday night we're going to be coming up with our next topic. So... So, yeah, so that's that. If you had to, speaking of your your good buddy Jeff or, or anybody, if you had to, if you had to place bets on who's going to pull a pull a hamstring, um, who, who do you got? Oh, Melvisted all day long. Yeah, Jeff oh. Melvisted all day long. Um, in fact, I would say the odds are better than average, are better than good. <laughs> that. Uh, that there will be some sort of medical treatment needed uh, uh, for Jeff. I just hope it's – it'll probably be a Band-Aid. He probably won't be able to continue until we put something over a blister or something like that. Um, or we'll just dump some beer on it, and it'll be good. All right. Okay. Well, I'm certainly yeah. looking forward to having the measurables. Um Maybe I'll make it there next year. I, I, I told you I wanted to do a podcast that night, so we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll, maybe we'll do the podcast that night and then make it up there make it up there next year. So that's some, some I'm really hoping that it becomes yeah. I'm really hoping it becomes a traditional thing, and uh, you know, really appreciate Jay coming up for the event, and the more the merrier going forward. So okay. well, I'll start I'll start training now for next year. Uh, but we'll, I'm sure we'll break we'll break down some film next week, and uh, and and have it have it ready to go. So nice, nice. If, uh, yeah, you guys can you are, guys can do your uh, rookie rankings, your DFW rankings yeah. based on our combine results. 
Sounds like sounds like you might be you might be harnessed to the slot receiver role, Dan. So uh, just oh just yeah, I'm, I got and, Bill Belichick written and, all over me, baby. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then I, just so you know too, Bill Bill's not going to draft a five nine wide receiver. Bill Servey is not going to draft no. a five nine wide receiver. No. He's got no he's no. got no interest in you. Just so you know. So you're safe there. That's all right. That's all right. Once okay, he learns Bill. about my IQ, he'll change his mind. Okay. All right. I'm savvy. Um, I'm savvy. All right. Do you have to go, or do you want to? Do you want to judge our uh, dilemma? Well, did you guys weigh in already? You guys go at it. No, we haven't. We haven't yet. No. Sure, I can. can Yeah, I can go. Or yeah, I'll I'll listen to you guys. I'll I'll try to judge. Did Did you Did you choose Nick? I can't remember. Or did I? Uh, Yeah, I chose. I chose. Okay, so that means you go first. Okay, well, we're going uh, Devontae Adams versus Devontae Parker. Now, I've got uh, Devontae Adams, and we'll start with Parker. Of course, Parker, who many who uh, many expect to be the third wide receiver off the board tomorrow, he's more talented than Devontae Adams, who lasted until the second round last year's draft. But so often in fantasy sports, talent takes a backseat to the situation a player is in. Right now, we have absolutely no idea where Parker's going to end up tomorrow. So I'll take the guy who's playing with all-world quarterback Aaron Rodgers over Parker, who, for all we know, could end up being in Cleveland with Johnny Manziel throwing balls at his feet. Uh, let's look at the other recent Green Bay receivers. Jordy Nelson, three out of his last four years, he's been over 1,200 yards, 43 touchdowns over that span. And he didn't break out until year four. He only had 360 yards as a rookie. Uh, his fellow wide receiver, Randall Cobb, had a similar 375 yards in his rookie season before getting almost 1,000 yards in year two. And then last year, his fourth year in the league, 91 catches, almost 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. You know, even receivers without big yardage numbers in this offense can be fantasy assets. Just look at James Jones in 2012. He had under 800 yards but scored 14 touchdowns. You know, given that Adams' 446 yards last year were actually better rookie numbers than Nelson or Cobb, I have no doubt Adams will at worst be a fantasy wide receiver three or four with number one upside if uh, Nelson or Cobb were to end up getting hurt. You know, Parker, who knows? He could end up in a situation like Sammy Watkins. The guy's oozing with potential, but in a situation where we likely won't see it translate to the stat sheet. Uh, What do you have, Josh? All right. So you mean to tell me that the wide receiver three on Green Bay is better than one point wide receiver one point five on Cleveland or Kansas City? Um, well, that's but seriously, my argument might be null and void if he ends up at either one of those places. Or will it? Many pundits see AJ Green like qualities in Parker. I'm not going to go with that. I do think Parker, who missed seven games as a senior last year and still racked up 43 receptions for 855 yards. That's in five games last year for Louisville. Um, I still think he, I think he has the qualities to make an average quarterback look good. Um, I know what you're thinking, Nick. Even Alex Smith, yes, even Alex Smith. It uh, says here I'm supposed to pause for shock and let the drama build. Okay, so we did that. Uh, in fact, Parker might be the best wide receiver Alex Smith has ever had as a teammate. If it's if it's in Cleveland, I think Parker is very Josh Gordon-esque minus the moronicism. Uh, moronicism is actually a word. Uh, in fact, I think current Cleveland QB Josh, Josh McCown might even see shades of his former teammate Alshon Jeffrey and Vincent Jackson in Parker. Um, the guy has arms 
as long as compact cars, and he has some mighty ups, too, which makes me super excited about him. He has the size to be a steady overachiever for the next decade, uh, but some say he is a little skinny, and I say after OTAs and training camps, he'll bulk up to, to be at his physical peak and be ready to go forward this season. Um, if Cleveland snags Parker, I will, and he'll be locking horns with Joe Hayden three days a week. So I think he'll be more than prepared to play. Um, and remember how Mike Evans got Johnny Manziel drafted? I think Parker has that ability to do that as well. I think he has the flexible frame to give any Cleveland quarterback confidence, even if it is the ex-drunkard Manziel. Um, if Parker reunites with Teddy Bridgewater, come on, Dan, right? Forget about it. Oh, yeah, baby. Is this my turn? Do I get to weigh in? Is it, yeah. or are you guys okay? Uh, Nick Nick has a chance to re- Nick has a chance to rebut. Okay, rebut. Um, well, I'll just make one more point about Adams. Some uh, people are concerned about uh, if he can hold up for a full season since he only had four catches after week 12 in the regular season. But in the playoff game against Dallas, he did have seven catches for 117 yards and a touchdown. So I think he proved he can hold up for a full season moving forward. Okay, Dan, what do you think? Interesting. This is a good one, guys. When I first saw it, um, my instinct was very much so Adams. Uh, Just my initial instinct, right? Obviously, he's known, great location. He's no slouch in himself, right? I mean, let's say Adams was the 1.5 in most drafts last year right, in arguably the most loaded wide receiver class in NFL history. So let's not dismiss this guy's talent. The real question here is all about location for both guys because the location of Adams is ultimately his hindrance, but it could also be his over-the-top, top top 10 annual, you know, claim to fame here. I mean, really all it takes is one torn hamstring. That's it. And this guy is instantly a top 10 wide receiver with Aaron Rodgers targeting him just even 20% more from Cobb or Jordy Nelson. Um, In addition to that, he's probably a top 30, 25 guy as a third option. Now, you can't say that about too many people. Um, Parker is supremely talented. I think he will be drafted to be the clear number one guy wherever he goes even if that's in Minnesota with established guys like Mike Wallace, um, I think they will take him if he's there at 11. I absolutely do. Uh, Trey Waynes is the most, um, you know, is the favorite pick there, but I don't see how they can pass up reuniting those two in Minnesota, especially with how improved their defense already was last year. Um yeah, uh, this is a. I, I think ultimately, you guys both make good arguments. Uh, it really comes down to guessing ultimately where Parker is going to be, and knowing what we already know about Devontae Adams. And I am not going to cop out. I promise. I'm going to come to a conclusion. I'm just going to keep talking <laughs> until I finally make up my mind. And I'm going to go. I'm going to go Devontae Adams by the absolute slimmest 
of slim and i just think ultimately their upsides are the same and you already know where adams is going to be uh you may have to wait it out another year but by the time parker actually develops into what his upside could be adams is going to be on his way as well not to mention you're going to have i truly don't think jordy and Cobb are going to keep holding up year after year they both have a decent history of nagging to debilitizing injuries, and last year was way more the exception to the norm. So I think Adams is ultimately going to put up some pretty decent stats himself. So I'm going to lean Adams just a little bit. I'd say we're talking, you know, 52-48, though. So good one. Um, well, if you want to vote on that, that is that is not up on Dynasty Football Warehouse yet. Maybe you can take care of that for us, Dan. But uh, if you want to vote on what? that, well, I'm sure we'll have it up later today. It's not up. It's not, at least I didn't. I just went there, and it's not up. Well, what the hell? I still had to. That's my fault. I still Sorry. had to. End, that's okay. I still had to endure looking at our Jordan Matthews Victor Cruz massacre. Yeah, I see it too. <laughs> I'm adding it right now. Sorry, I did go oh, in and actually. Oh, put it in, but maybe I never submitted it. So, cool. all right, thank brain you. part thank on my Thank you so fault. much for, for judging. Okay, thank you for uh, judging and uh, giving us all your great information, and uh, good luck at the combine. All right, thank you very much. Right. Have a good day, all guys. Right. Enjoy draft day. Yes, you too. All right, bye. Hey, Nick, we still got a few more things to get to here. Um, good battle. I think my angle there was uh, just to compare Dante Parker to, excuse me, Devontae Parker to as many wide receivers as possible to get everybody confused. I think he was just going to be in that class of these players. So I think it worked. I almost got it. I almost got it. But anyway, let's get to uh, ADP risers and fallers. Um as we uh, continue to uh, serve our uh, mock draft master, the mock draft monarch, Bruce, Mr. Fat Cat Kimbrough, we, uh, we we have some knowledge gained from doing all that. So what do you, what do you got for us? Um, speaking of David Funches, I think he's too, maybe too high as the number 14 rookie off the board. I think Dan's thinking, Dan's thinking that that's maybe right about right. What what are your thoughts on what else you got for us on rises and falls? <laughs> Yeah, it might be a little bit too high on Funches, but uh, not too much. I mean, it's so hard to tell with these rookie drafts before the actual NFL draft has happened because, like you said, we don't know where any of these guys are going to end up, and that's the big thing with uh, with Parker, why I couldn't take him over Adams because you just have no idea where he's going to end up. But uh, getting back to our ADP, risers and fallers, uh, some guys who have been rising, uh, Jordan Matthews, and my numbers here are all uh, – going by IDP startup drafts. So, uh, you know, in offense-only leagues, these numbers are going to be uh, lower than they are here. But I have Jordan Matthews at uh, number 33 overall. Uh, Latavis Murray, the running back from Oakland, he's starting to rise up to 66 overall. Um, a couple of the guys that uh, really struck me as interesting was the group at, between number 45 and 50 overall. You had Keenan Allen at 45. Amari Cooper at 46, the other rookie, Kevin White, at 49, and then Brandon Marshall at 50, right behind them. I thought Cooper and White have way more upside than either Allen or especially Brandon Marshall, who's on the wrong side of 30 and in New York right now. We've all seen what kind of a hit going to the Jets is usually uh, 
puts up upon uh, fantasy receivers. Just look at Eric Decker going from Denver to New York a couple years ago. So I, I think those rookies are maybe a little bit undervalued, at least compared to uh, compared to a veteran like Marshall. Okay, yeah, I I agree with you there too. Even though I own Brandon Marshall, um, yeah, it's it's a hard call. I, I I got a question for you though, Nick, about White or Cooper. If one of those two ends up in Oakland, are you going to take them like in a startup as your wide receiver number two? Because that seems to be where they where they're going in a lot of places. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think they're going to end up in Oakland. But even if they did, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't drop them down any farther than I already have them. I, I, I believe in Derek Carr in long term. I think, I think they're they're onto something there in Oakland with that quarterback. So you're not trading Derek Carr to me, at all is what you're saying. All right. <laughs> well, everybody's got, but anyway, everybody's got but. <laughs> Oh, it's a hard call. I don't own Carr in a dynasty, and I know that I would overpay for him if I even started at sending offers. And I don't want to get, I don't want to get too wrapped up in one team centered around my team, especially if Oakland goes four and twelve again. I don't think they will, but I, uh, I said that last year too. So, uh, you know, I'm really optimistic this year. I'm more optimistic than most years, I would say. So, uh, uh, Allen Robinson. We're getting a lot of love as the 29th wide receiver off the board. I don't know. I I feel like him and Marquise Lee are a little closer. Marquise Lee is dropping so low. I'm seeing him go like in the 20th round. I you know we've talked about them a little bit earlier. I I think Marquise Lee is definitely going to be a better PPR option this year. Obviously, these are dynasty startup rankings too. A lot of people love Robinson. I still have a some some real. Uh, some real questions about his durability. He's a skinny kid. He had problems last year. Obviously, so did Lee. Um, and they have Hearns there, too, to push either one of them. It's, it's a hard call. Luke really touched on that. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke really touched on that today as he wrote an article about uh, some dynasty difficulties, kind of talked about all three of those guys. And I, myself, am writing a dynasty spotlight on Marquis Lee. Look for that after the draft. But a lot of questions to be answered. I also also see a lot of mocks with the Jacksonville Jaguars taking a wide receiver in the first couple rounds. I don't think they will do that. I think they could use a running back, a real running back on that team. They obviously need some some defensive help as well, offensive line. I just don't see there any need for them to take a wide receiver probably till like round four or five. Um, Brandon LaFell, still the 64th wide receiver. Or st- uh, still the, excuse me, <laughs> I think he's 64th overall. I just I feel like he's a much much better player than that. Oh no, he's a 64th wide receiver. I he's come on. Dan just talked about Tom Brady and how everybody wants to play with Tom Brady. The guy is huge and he certainly was sporadic last year, but I think another year there, more comfortable with him. I think you can. You're not going to see the 20 touchdowns like Moss put up there, but I think you can see double-digit touchdowns. I honestly think that's going to be the case. I mean, they have Sammy Coates above him. They have Marquis Lee above him. They have Terrence Williams above him. Brian Quick above him. I don't get the whole Brian Quick thing. We had another profile on that. They got John Brown above above Brandon LaFell. I just, I mean, I know he's not a, a rookie and not a gem, but this is only his fifth year in the league coming in. You're going to have 
potentially five, six more years out of him. Is he going to still stay in New England? Probably not, but he's got at least two more years there. Don't get him at number 64. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Um, moving on, we got some questions from the forum there, Nick. Um, I own, not me, I'm reading here. I own Des Bryant and was offered Odell Beckham for him straight up. 12-team PPR. I also own Julio Jones, TJ, T.Y. Hilton. Uh, but I I like this, but I feel like Odell might be might have a slightly higher ceiling. Then again, the league figured out the league might figure out how to cover Odell Beckham, as they did Josh Gordon, and it was I think Josh Gordon covered himself, but that's fine. It, and it wasn't that long where Gordon was the consensus top three dynasty asset. For that reason, Des might be safer. Any thoughts there? Well, my first thought is, uh, if you had told me three, four years ago that we were going to say that Des Bryant is safer than another player, that I wouldn't have believed that. But uh, now I, I think he's pretty Open much like the true red on. Fan. <laughs> you know, Odell does have the higher ceiling, but he's only got the 11 games of production. Uh, Des Bryant, he's year in and year out, so he's definitely got the higher floor. So uh, it just depends on uh, how much you're willing to gamble, I guess, because uh, Odell Beckham could very easily be. You know, this time next year we could be talking about him as the best receiver in the NFL, or he could have that sophomore slump. He just we don't know yet. Yeah, I think he's going to see a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of coverage right at the line. He's going to see a lot of a lot of bumping right at the line. To try to get him off of his route. Um, you know, looking at this, you got to look at the quarterback situation. Um, you know, we're we're not saying Romo's going to retire after this year, um, but he is thirty-five. You know, Eli's up there, up there too, but I think he's certainly healthier than Romo. He's had a lot of nagging questions, even though he doesn't seem to miss too many games, but he had a, he's had a lot of injuries. Um, uh, but you also got to look at the aspect where they have Beckham. Uh, we talked about Cruz last week, who is certainly not not old by any stretch of imagination, but they also have uh, Ruben Randall on that team, another young receiver, too. Um, you know, is is Ruben Randall the same type of player as Terrence Williams? He maybe is, but he might also be a wide receiver three in New York as opposed to Williams being a wide receiver two in Dallas. And the other wide receiver in Dallas is Cole Beasley. I mean, he's certainly a, a little bit of an overachiever, but I, I would think I would rather have Ruben Randall than Cole Beasley uh, on my team. Um, I'm not sure if I'm making any sense there, but I think Beckham maybe, even though it doesn't look like it, Beckham might have the better supporting cast at his position. Therefore, I think he might have a, a better chance to stay, uh, you know, a consistent performer. Where you look at uh, Dez, you know, some teams could walk into a game and say, we're going to shut Dez down and make Terrence Williams beat us over the middle. I, 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 think, I think that's more of a possibility for teams to be able to shut Dez down as opposed to Beckham because there's so much other – I think there's better talent on the Giants at the wide receiver position. Uh, next question, Lacey, Eddie Lacey for Mike Evans, 24-man roster, uh, quarterback, running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, uh, tight end, and a flex. Two copies of each player in the league, so they're 24 owners, uh, as if it was a 12-team league. Which side would you take here? Uh, somebody's offering Mike Evans, Rashad Jennings, Larry Donnell for Lacey, uh, Mike Wallace and Kobe Fleener, and the pick 
2.22, which is equivalent to 2.11. Any thoughts there, Dick? Well, I know uh, the old saying in Dynasty where uh, wide receivers are far more valued than running backs, but I think there's a couple running backs right now that I would value as highly as wide receivers, Then uh, that would be Le'Veon Bell and Eddie Lacy. So I actually like the trade uh, beside the picked up Eddie Lacy, Mike Wallace, who's still a usable wide receiver, Colby Fleener, who I think is the better of the two tight ends there in Indianapolis, and I definitely like him over Larry Donnell. And then you throw in a draft pick on top of that, I'll definitely take that. Whereas the other side, uh, Evans is a great young receiver. Don't get me wrong. Love Evans. But then Rashad Jennings, I mean, how much work is he going to get there now with uh, Shane Vereen and Andre Williams there in the backfield in New York and Larry Donnell, I, you know, I'm just not sold on him quite just yet. So I'll, I'll take the side that gets Lacey there. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. Unless unless Mike Elvins is produces, you know, 1,500 yards every year for the next five or six years, his value might be at an all-time high because people realize that he, you know, was over 1,000 yards last year, had some great – had a good number of touchdowns. And his dynasty value is certainly at its peak right now. And if you're trading Eddie Lacy – you better have two other solid running backs on your team and you desperately need wide receivers to get to give up that much uh, to get Mike Evans. Uh, that's all I'm going to say there. Uh, Lynch and Jeffrey for so uh, Marshawn Lynch and Alshon Jeffrey for LaShawn McCoy and Brandon Cooks. Is this an even deal? I have McCoy and Cooks, and I'm looking to get stronger at wide receiver. Don't mind putting the running back – in the older on the older end of things, don't mind putting in a running back on the older end. What are your thoughts? About? Well, this I think it just comes down to owner preference. Uh, you know, I I think I might be the opposite of this owner. Uh, I personally really like Brandon Cooks and don't just uh, devalue him because of his size. So I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't mind having having Brandon Cooks, and I also really dislike having the older running backs. I'd rather cut ties with my running backs a year too soon than a year too late. So, personally, I wouldn't do it. But you know, if he's fine with both of those things, then then you know, <laughs> you got to run your team the way you want to run it. You know. Yeah, I guess you know Lynch is still pretty young, and you know, excuse me, Jeffrey is still pretty young. I, I think Marshawn, you know. Let's face it, at the most, is two years left. It may be one solid productive year left. So as opposed to McCoy, who's now in Buffalo, and they seem content to just run him into the ground, I think you're going to get a lot more production out of McCoy this year. I know Lynch is the, is the centerpiece of that offense, but they also added Jimmy Graham. So where I think you know Russell Wilson gets a nice little tick up in, uptick in production in that offense, in value at least, I think everybody else takes a little bit of a hit, and uh, that's not good news for any of, the, any of the Seattle receivers, but I also think it's not good news for Marshawn Lynch. You know, they're probably looking to, to not give him as many touches this year so he is fully healthy for them to make another playoff run, and I think Jimmy Graham is going to be somewhat of the benefit of that. More, most definitely Russell Wilson is going to benefit out of out of value from that. His value will benefit the most out of that situation, so... I'm going to go with you, McCoy and Cooks. I think Cooks answered a lot of questions last year that he can play at this level and could compete and use his be his fiery self. Granted, he got hurt, um, but he put up some solid numbers in just half of the season. And I think 
you're going to see some interesting things come out of him in, in New Orleans this year as they're going to get really creative with him. I see him having a really, really solid year there. As, as he's, you know, he might be the wide receiver one there. I know Colton, they have Colston too, but they might, you know, where Colston might look like the wide receiver one, I think you might see Cooks get more more action, most definitely there, even maybe some more in the in the running game. So, uh, yeah, McCoy's going to get 400 carries if he can this year. So I, I like that. Bad news for Sammy Watkins owners. Still don't know why that guy is going so high. Don't want to fall back to ADP risers and fallers, but I still don't know why that guy is going so high. Um, best number four. 14. It's been a while since we've done this, probably two or three weeks now. But we've been doing a series here where we call uh, best at each position. We've got all the way up to 14, and now we're going to try to get back to it here today. So who is the best to wear the number 14 in NFL history? Well, we'll start off with a couple of Cincinnati quarterbacks. Uh, Andy Dalton, 61% completion percentage, 99 touchdowns, 66 interceptions, but he's been to the playoffs all four years. And then Ken Anderson, four-time Pro Bowler, 32,000 yards, 197 touchdowns in 16 years, all in Cincinnati. Uh, Next up, we have a couple of backup quarterbacks. Now, normally a quarterback with only 6,000 career passing yards wouldn't even come close to this list, but Frank Wright did uh, lead the greatest comeback in NFL playoff history on January 3rd, 1993, throwing four touchdowns as Buffalo beat the Houston Oilers 41-38 to after trailing 35-3. to And funny, he also led the largest comeback in NCAA history at the time with 40 win over the U after being down 31 uh, to nothing at halftime out of Maryland. Uh, next up, Earl Morrill is considered one of the best backup quarterbacks in NFL history. He was the league MVP in 1968 after Johnny Unitas was injured during the preseason, and he also started nine games for the undefeated 1972 Dolphins. Uh, another old-timer, recently deceased Eddie LeBaron, only five foot seven, uh, shortest quarterback to ever make a Pro Bowl. He went to four uh, Pro Bowls and also was the first ever starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys after being traded from Washington for a first-round pick. I don't see those two teams dealing like that these days. Uh, now, I know so so far this is a somewhat under, underwhelming list, but our last two guys are pretty good. Uh, the first runner-up, Brad Johnson, to me is one of the most underrated and underappreciated quarterbacks I can remember. Uh, 23 starts in five years in Minnesota, then traded to Washington, where he put up a 17-10 and 10 record there, which is a lot better than any of the guys that have played since. Uh, but then he went to Tampa Bay when the Skins decided they were better off having Jeff George and Tony Banks. He ended up winning a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Uh, but to me, the number one 14 of all time has to be the Hall of Famer Dan Faust. 1982 league MVP, six-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. He led the league in passing yards every year from 1979 through 1982. Uh, in 1981, he had 4,800 yards and 33 touchdowns. To put that in perspective, Tom Brady only went over 4,800 yards three times and only over 33 touchdowns four times in a much easier era for offenses to move the football. That Don Coriel offense that Dan Fouts played in changed the game. How Coriel's not in the Hall of Fame is beyond me. Uh, I'm assuming you have some old-timers for us there, Josh? I forgot Y.A. Tittle, which, you know, the name sounds awesome, but not too many people know a whole lot about. Uh, and really, you're such a duck's homer, but Dan Fouts. I mean, I know it's not the greatest number, but he always comes back to a duck. No, just kidding. I, I, I totally agree <laughs> with you. I mean, you look about, you look at where where the game was. You know, we talked about how Marino just shocked the world when he threw for 5,000 yards in the 80s, but Dan Fouts was right there. 
doing the exact same thing um, and, and putting up some, some solid numbers in, in that type of offense. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's crazy to think he did that at that point in time. And like you said, putting it in perspective, you know, what would, what would he do now in that offense? The defensive was, were, were restricted back then like they are now. Um, but let's not forget about uh, Yellow Burt Abraham Kittle, uh, rookie of the year, 1948, joined the 49ers in 51 after after the Colts disbanded. Uh, career record, uh, he owns a career record for completions at the at the time he retired. Threw for 242 touchdowns in his career, over 36,000 yards. Uh, I also had 13 games over 300 yards passing, which, considering that was in the late 40s to early 60s, is is pretty amazing. He was the most valuable player in the NFL in 61, 62, and 63. Uh, all NFL team 57, 61, 62, and 63 elected to seven Pro Bowls. Uh, and that's why a title. Uh, quarterback just six foot 192. Uh, you know, out of Louisiana State. He came out now and was six foot, 192 pounds. They were saying, "No way, this guy can play quarterback in the NFL." But uh, obviously, it was a a different time, and uh, certainly crazy to see that he was a, a MVP for three straight years, and to have that many uh, 13 games over 300 yards passing. When you know, let's face it, they didn't pass a whole lot back in the 40s or 50s. I don't have exact stats on that for you, Nick, but. Uh, so I guess it's Y.A. Tittle versus Dan Faust. And I guess I'll, I'll go with the duck. I'll side with, uh, with Dan Faust. So um, that's all we really have for you today. Uh, we, uh, any, any other thoughts on, on round one? And I guess since we didn't label this uh, Mariota to who, if you had to guess, you know, who we're going to be talking about tomorrow night is Mariota with their quarterback, Nick. Who, who, do, you, who do you think – Marcus Mariota will be a part of at this time when we when we do the podcast tomorrow night. I think he will be a Titan. I don't think he should be a Titan. I think uh, the Titans, if they were smart, would draft Leonard Williams. Heck, I think if Tampa Bay was smart, they would draft Leonard Williams, pair him up with Gerald McCoy. Good luck running up the middle against those two. But uh, I think the Titans end up probably drafting Mariota unless they can trade out of it. I still feel like there could be something brewing where the Titans do draft Mariota and before the night is over, he gets traded to another team. But uh, we'll see. A lot of smoke screens, a lot of scenarios. Uh, you know, there's going to be a scenario that happens tomorrow night that we have no idea that it happens, like the Bills trading up to get Sammy Watkins last year. Um I, I think there's a potential that Cleveland deals their two picks to somebody to get up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, we don't know. I mean, we could sit here and, and, and spot out rumors or our thoughts for the next 30, 40 minutes, and none of it could happen. So I just invite everybody to be patient. Watch watch that first round of the draft. Have yourself a couple cocktails. Um, and uh, get ready for us as we hit the airwaves tomorrow night at 11 p.m., Eastern Standard Time uh, as we break down the, the implications after the first round, and then we are going to uh, hit you hard, like I said, with rookies for the next six weeks after that on the spot. A whole lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Enjoy round one of the draft, and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow night. Nick, any closing thoughts? 
No, can't wait to do this all again tomorrow. All right. We will talk to you tomorrow and have a great day. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook.